0: Welcome to mental wealth and wellness where we dive deep into the tips tricks and techniques of taking care of your mind so you can finally begin to live the abundant life you always knew was meant for you what if you could view your mind as your greatest asset instead of a lifelong limitation who would you be and how would you leave your mark on the world if you could shift into a state of abundant mental wealth I'm your host, Jenna Knapp, a certified NLP, EFT, and hypnosis practitioner, and I'm so excited to open the doors to my world and share everything I have learned through my personal journey from a mental health diagnosis to a mentally wealthy mindset. Thank you for tuning in, showing up, and being vulnerable enough to open your mind and heart to a whole new lens of looking at the world. This is Mental Wealth and Wellness. Now let's dig into the episode and get you one step closer to your abundant future. Hello and welcome to another special episode of Mental Wealth and Wellness. Today I have my dear friend, Kareen Elliott from Santa Barbara, California on the line today. Um, We are talking from states away we went to the yes supply training together both the practitioner and master practitioner and we just hit it off on such a deep level because we both have significant stories relating to the mental health field kareen is an incredible mental health professional and she's going to tell you more about what she does but finding her felt like i was finding the person that i wish I could have crossed paths with when I was going through the mental health system. So I'm so honored to have her on the podcast today. Welcome, Kareem. Thank you so much for being here. Jenna, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you. Yay! Um, <laughs> what I do with all of my Guests is ask them some fun intro questions, but before we get into that, can you just say a little bit about yourself, what you do, where you live, and anything you want to include?
1: Sure. Um, so, as you mentioned, I live in Santa Barbara, California, and I work as a mental health registered nurse. So, specifically, I'm director of nursing of an eating disorder treatment facility. So, I travel around and. Really work with the professionals in the field, um, which I'll talk about more later. But that led me to really being um, inspired to go deeper into coaching because essentially I felt like that's what I was doing, and I wanted to provide more tools um, to the people that I was working with and the people that really work so closely with the patients that I care so much about. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I have a little bit. Of my hands in multiple different areas, um, but all really connecting um, to personal development and, you know, living a really fulfilling life. And that's my intention for everyone that I work with, no matter what they're doing.
0: That's incredible. I am so excited for you to share more about your story and like your path through uh, becoming a mental health registered nurse like it's it's you guys are in for a treat to be tuned into this episode today um oh yeah you had the whole room in tears when you shared your story at the supply training so before we dig into that we'll keep it we'll keep it light for a few more minutes and (laughs) um I want to ask you what is the most recent thing that you have manifested
1: okay so I think that you know it sounds like a little thing, but it was it was a big thing for me in that I re- I manifested easy travel experiences because I have a reputation for having the most heinous travel experiences <laughs> someone could ever have. Um, you know, I, I like I know people who travel constantly. I mean, you know, multiple times a week or flying around the country and they still haven't heard or experienced some of the crazy things I've experienced on flights. And um, it's kind of funny because I didn't have this problem until I started getting into manifestation and really like, (laughs) you know, having these just positive intentions and outcomes and how things are going to be. And I kind of swung from being someone who used to expect the absolute worst in any situation. So I would never be disappointed and I was always Mm -hmm. kind of just satisfied in life. Um, And then funny enough, after our first um, yes, supply training, our practitioner training in May, I, I was on this high, you know, and I was just like, I'm going to, I'm just going to have the best experiences ever (laughs) in life. Like I was just, (laughs) I like swung to the complete, opposite side of things where I, I had a a really unrealistic expectation that everything was going to be amazing. And then I was (laughs) very disappointed. I was like, I I mean, just traveling from Toronto to home turned into like a 48 hour nightmare. And I was just kind of like, what is wrong with like, what am I doing? And then after, and even on my way back to Toronto, the the second time, it was a horrible travel experience, so I did a lot of work, and realized, you know, I'm just, uh, I need to just not have an expectation about the way things are going to turn out, and just, you know, maybe, even if things are going to be terrible, I mean, whatever, you know, like, it's not going to ruin my day, and funny enough, I on my flight back, I, I just had the best experience because I realized that just no matter what the outside experience is, no matter what is causing me delays or, you know, anything like I'm going to have, it's not going to impact how I feel inside. And of course, my travel experience back was completely smooth and amazing. And I, I had just kind of felt like, okay, I finally found the balance. Mm -hmm. And then as I was walking out of the airplane, there was this big um, mural of these really cute poems that all these teenagers had written. Um, I I don't know where they're from, but I just happened to stop at one. And I wrote it down because I, it was just perfect. It said, I have now realized that to be free, you must be pleased controlling nothing. And a 16-year-old girl named Ariel wrote this. And I was just <gasps> like, that is exactly what I feel like I had just figured out. And um, it, it was one of those, it was just like a sign to me, like, yes, totally um, letting go of the outcome is the key. And oh, even wow. though, you know, still knowing, like, it doesn't matter, I'm, I'm getting the most out of this, or I'm going to learn something from this or I'm going to meet someone that I'm supposed to meet or whatever and having more of just kind of like a curiosity about everything that's happening rather than like everything is going to be amazing you know Mm -hmm. so anyway
0: that was (laughs) was no I love that I love that I have like I have like four questions based off of just that one question (laughs) number one I want to say I want to tattoo that on my body I feel like that's such a beautiful (laughs) home that's so awesome that you found it right after that experience number 2 did you just say that you just got into manifestation after the yes supply training like you had never like really like dove into that world before then
1: okay no that's not true i i i you know i've been aware of and of course you know personal development has been mm-hmm. something i've been into for a really long time but um for some reason i I, I thought, you know, that is so cool that other people can kind of create their life. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I think it didn't really become ingrained in me that, you know, I think when you, when you're surrounded by so many high vibe people that are just wanting the same things, you get you you basically get high off of like, oh my uh-huh. God, I can do anything, you know? So yeah. I think I was just at a little bit of a different level <laughs> than um, <laughs> what I had been used to. So I think the what I was putting out, I was like putting out just ridiculously amazing expectations in the world Mm -hmm. and it was just a little (laughs) much
0: so (laughs) it also that story triggered the memory of you sending me the meme or the video of that woman describing like transcending into another dimension (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah because man that's so true right like we just experienced that again like we were around 14 other like High by people for two weeks straight. We literally were operating at a different frequency. The energy in there was insane, and now we're kind of like, you know, it's almost like culture shock, like going back to where you came from.
1: Mm-hmm. It almost makes you feel sad that it's like you just want every child, you know, every like school situation to be like that, where you're mm-hmm. like, God, what could people accomplish an experience in life if they were surrounded by people that just saw them at their highest potential or just had the you know complete belief in them that yeah they can just do whatever they want to do.
0: Yeah. And
1: and and, and it doesn't have to be perfect. And it's just part of the experience. And so just being surrounded by that, you know, right. it really does kind of put you in a different mindset.
0: I agree completely. We're so lucky that we got to experience that. Mm -hmm. Well, and hopefully, you know, it just becomes
1: a a part of, you know, something that a lot of people get to experience, Mm -hmm. not even in just like these very specific trainings, but just, you know, communities that, that they can find or
0: thrive in. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that's, uh, on my notes of totally wanting to talk more about, like, I think you and I both have big visions of where this stuff can impact the mental health field and even outside of that. So we will, we will totally circle back to that. But the second question is, where do you feel the most abundance in your life currently?
1: Um, you know, I think that we all have areas, especially when we look on, you know, like the wheel of life or just, you know, the different categories of life, we have one area that just seems to come really easily to us. And, um, I think for me, that is my love relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel very abundant in that area of my life. And, um, you know, I, I, won't go too in detail but I randomly met someone on a vacation when I was 15 and we crossed crossed paths multiple times through life um and became eventually you know very good friends through kind of like the you know the the worst years well for me mm-hmm. which was like my teens and then my 20s and then finally um you know getting together um and then like having a relationship, it just, it's just something that I didn't really, I, I didn't dream of having like, the, uh, you know, this amazing relationship, but I somehow had like a a subtle confidence. I don't know how to explain it, but just like, yeah, of course, if I do, it's going to be
0: amazing mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of thing. Oh, I love that. I know exactly what you mean.
1: Yeah, and so I feel very just um, lucky and grateful uh, for my husband who, you know, obviously that that random person I met on vacation I eventually married and um, yeah, I love it. <laughs>
0: I, think, I think I need to have you back for like a Valentine's Day episode so you can tell the <laughs> whole story because that is like, that is such a beautiful manifestation story right? Like, I love the way you, that you tell it to So we'll have to love to have you back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what is your current favorite self-care technique? Mm, okay, so I was
1: not always lucky enough to live close to the ocean, but now I do. And so, um, you know, like a lot of people, my days are very hectic, juggling, you know, career and and own business and family and being a mom and all these things and so I really try to prioritize um uh, eating lunch somewhere beautiful and calm so I I have a, a kind of a favorite little spot that I like to go to I just drive up near the ocean um and even if it's just like a quick lunch, I, I just take that, that time to kind of mindfully enjoy at least that one meal where, you know, I'm looking out at the ocean and I'm not listening to any music. I'm not talking to anybody. Um, and I really try to um, instill gratitude and um, acknowledgement of nourishment
0: wow, in that. that
1: meal that I'm eating. And the water, you know, we know about like the power of water and on our, we know about the power of our thoughts on water. Um, So really like just taking at least one meal a day to, to put my thoughts into the food that I'm putting into my body and um, just having like a peaceful, even if it's just like 30 minutes, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, that is my favorite thing that I do
0: now. Can you elaborate on what you just said about we know about the benefits of our thoughts on water? Oh
1: yeah, so um you know that study um I cannot remember his name, Japanese scientist um where you know they would label water and so- something beautiful and then the, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. when they put the water under the microscope it was like beautiful crystals almost looking um like snowflakes and then if it if the intention that was given to the water was, "you are ugly, you are horrible," um, the the water under the microscope, the crystallized, um, uh, mm-hmm. like what is it called? And
0: the like the crystallized like particles of the water. Or yeah, yeah. Just the the design <laughs> that
1: kind of came out was, mm-hmm. um, you know, really like tragic looking and sad looking, and it just really matched the intention um, Mm -hmm. of what was given to the water. And then, you know, considering we are made up of water, (laughs) I think it's just uh, really important to kind of create that routine and ritual of honoring what we put into our body. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, and I do this, even if it's not necessarily, you know, the most like it doesn't have to be just like organic from the earth, you know, really good foods. Even if I'm eating something that might be processed or whatever, and that's what I'm having at that lunch, I still really want to um, convey gratitude and, um, and just that, like, thank you for whatever part of you is nourishing me. Like, I am so grateful for
0: that. I love that. Like being able to um, sit down and enjoy food is honestly Mm -hmm. something like that I don't do very much because I'm kind of obsessed with like watching things while I eat. It's probably like my worst habit. So like this whole whole scenario that you've painted of like a 30-minute intentional meal by water, enjoying your food and with gratitude, that's like that is such a powerful combination of things all into one. Like that's a lot. That's beautiful.
1: Yeah. And I think it's really important to kind of make it in almost like the middle of your busiest moments (laughs) because Mm -hmm. we all have time in the morning or we try to have time in the morning. And then, you know, there's like winding down time right before bed, but Um, I want to have a little piece in the middle of the day that I enjoy too, and Mm -hmm. um, just to kind of like take a pause, and so I really, you know, use lunch as that moment for me to stop and really think about how I'm spending my day, and, um, you know, because it's easy to get like really wrapped up in the things that we're doing, especially when we're excited about
0: it, and, you know, um, so yeah. I love that. Oh, I need to I need to turn the Tony Robbins documentary and YouTube channels off when I'm eating things. <laughs> that's one thing. I've gotten really good about like not mindlessly watching things that aren't like nourishing my mind. But I still mm-hmm. it's like a I don't know what it is. And Karine, you're gonna appreciate this. It's popcorn. Like I will I will destroy a bag of popcorn <laughs> while watching something. Yeah. I could just imagine you just taking one kernel at a time. Like, I love you so much. I am right. so grateful for you. Oh I my should gosh. do that. I bet, I, I bet if I did it that way, I bet I wouldn't eat the whole bag. Just slow you down a little. <laughs> slow me down a little bit. Yeah. That's funny. Oh, well, that's a perfect transition point. <laughs> um. So, okay, so for everyone listening, I wanna paint a picture for you a little bit. From the master practitioner training, we had the opportunity to share our stories and step into the scary territory of giving a speech. We had to give two speeches kind of back to back. One we had eight minutes to prepare for, and the next we had less than like like less than 24 hours to prepare for. It was assigned at the end of like a 5.30 p.m. day. We had to be back ready to present by 10 a.m. the next day. And uh, we had to do it in a certain format that, you know, a lot of TED Talk speakers use, a lot of motivational, inspirational speakers use. And following that format, we had to talk about our hero's journey and um, talk about where we've been, how it's impacted us, where we're going next with this knowledge of whatever we learned on our journey. And, uh, we all got a chance to deliver these speeches and, oh man, Kareem delivered hers and the whole room was crying. I couldn't even look at you because I like was so emotional. I was like ugly crying I feel like I like had like casual tears like so much the whole week but like I literally like Rebecca was sitting behind me and put her hand on me because she could see I was like shaking like it was like I was holding I was holding in the like like the blubbering crying when I talk about ugly crying. That's (laughs) what I mean. Like, I was like, I could have just lost it because I was just so consumed by what I said at the beginning of the episode. Like, if I had had you, like, through my experience and mental health, my time in the mental health system, like, I don't know. It was just such a full circle moment. So I'm so happy that you're on the podcast today to share that same story and uh I guess I just want to like hand it over and let you do it however you want to okay (laughs) if you're okay with that
1: (laughs) yeah and I'm actually really grateful that I I can delve a little deeper since um Mm -hmm. there's less you know I don't I feel. I think I Spoke for seven minutes, and I was also crying for six of those minutes, and so that probably (laughs) was not helpful. (laughs) Um, uh, But I and I've gotten a lot of tears out because I really, you know, I that experience that that um, project that we had to write this really allowed me to sit down and kind of, you know, I hadn't really thought too in depth about. My journey, um, and even writing it, I really got a lot of emotions out and And I think it helped me see the bigger the arch of you know where how I started and where I am now and how it all connects. and um, so yeah, basically, um, you know, through my own experiences and my own curiosities, I had always been attracted to. Psychology. So, you know, I went to school, got a bachelor's degree in psychology, and the very last course that I took was um, a physiological psychology class where we really got into the body and the connection with the mind. And I just thought, I am just, (laughs) I'm not done, you know, with school. And um, I went to grad school, but then For for psychology, and then I thought, you know, I just I really want to have more of a connection with the physical. So then I ended up going to nursing school, and I just felt. By the time I graduated, um, I had been in school for seven years at that point, and I was just so excited. I was like, I am ready to really make a difference. You know, during my clinical rotations, I worked at a psych hospital, and um, out of 29 of my classmates, uh, everyone hated it except for me. I just thought I was fascinated by the people because, you know, when you see movies, you see people who are in a corner talking to themselves, you know, it's like, they're not real people. They're like a shell of a person. And Mm -hmm. the people that I met when I worked at the mental health facility I was at were just amazing people who were going through a really really terrible time in their life and um obviously there's a spectrum of people that receive treatment um at mental health facilities but I just I was fascinated and um and also like really invested in seeing these people you know get out or heal and thrive and I I just had again like some kind of expectation on what Mm -hmm being involved in healing was. So I actually didn't even know about the field of eating disorders. Um, I I kind of accidentally found it through, um, m- through a mental health hospital. So I basically got a job on accident. <laughs> um, right after I graduated, I just wanted to work at a psych hospital, um, met with you know, the people who hired me and they were like, I feel like you would be really perfect to work, you know, in our eating disorder program. And that was super interesting to me. I started working there, um, quickly, um, just kind of fell in love with what I was doing because I was, you know, eating disorders go hand in hand with depression, anxiety, shame, guilt, all that stuff. Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, I just didn't, realize I feel like the media kind of portrays people who struggle with eating disorders as very superficial or very you know um, like it's like it's not something deeper which anyone who has any experience with any kind of eating disorder or, or knows someone who's going through it knows it's definitely much deeper it's not really about weight or how you look, or anything like that, so um, the people that I met in treatment were just, I mean, they were so interesting, so intelligent, so quirky, so amazing, Um, basically, I just couldn't understand how they were not seeing what I was seeing, you know, they, there was just this sense of not being worthy, and, um, you know, I quickly learned that, probably 90% of the people that I worked with were really, you know, this was just a way to cope with trauma or abuse, sexual, physical. Um, And I just, it was heartbreaking. And um, I just, I, I think I grew angry like, at the perpetrators, you know, um, I mean, the, the children, because when someone is talking about what they've been through, you see them as the child, or the, you see them at that, in that moment, when they're talking about the horrible things Mm -hmm. that have happened to them, and, um, and I just, like, absorbed that pain, and I felt pissed off, and I felt, um, you know, over the course of a year, so like my first year, I mean, I was crying constantly <laughs> because mm. i i and I'm not a crier like in life, so I was just like, "Oh my God, I don't know like what to do with this pain that is so horrible like i it was just like an endless, endless stream of people who had horrible things happen to them or or were like amazing people, but just uh, really unable to live in any capacity in the present and i just felt um really just like overwhelmed by the feeling that there's just no end to like the suffering that mm. that is inflicted upon you know these
0: mm-hmm.
1: people um and there was one girl in particular who you know she she didn't know life outside of Like, she didn't know how to function um, without, you know, restricting her food or, you know, exercising to the point of just, like, I don't even know how her body was functioning. And uh, I just, I, there's a specific moment that, you know, she, her insurance company cut her treatment. Um, Because at some point, you know, they feel like, well, you're not getting better. And um, this is kind of like a waste of money. And, you know, maybe it'll be better if you go home. And I, she was standing in her closet, and she just, um, you know, was holding on to me, like hugging me goodbye, but didn't let go. And I just felt just my neck was just soaked with her tears and um and then she's crying and i i just hear her whimper like i'm scared to die and i could feel her little heart just like racing (laughs) through her body into my own chest and i just i think that at that point i was like what am i doing like this is like obviously i'm so happy to be here um with her, appreciating her, whatever, but I, I also kind of felt this, like, helplessness, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and I, I thought, like, I don't know if I can keep doing this, like, I'm so, I'm just so sad all the time, especially, you know, where I was in the treatment process was at that time, I was just, you know, working with residential level of care people, which, you know, it has to be pretty bad for you to require 24-hour care. Mm-hmm. And, and then I was seeing people come and I was seeing people go, but I wasn't seeing their whole healing process, you know? So sometimes people would leave and I felt like, are they even, even one tiny bit? better off, you know, mm-hmm. than when they came in, like, sometimes it was really hard to tell, um, and I just had this, like, pressure, this, uh, I mean, uh, I, I didn't, no one put that pressure on me, but I just had this expectation, like, we're here to help people, and, you know, when people come in, they should leave feeling better, and it was just a uh, very, like, a, a powerless feeling, right, mm-hmm. so, Anyway, I'm kind of mentally preparing to like, okay, maybe I need to just think about the next thing. And the very next day I attended a yoga lecture. Um, I wanted to like think about something else. So I go to this yoga lecture and I just happen to sit next to this older gentleman who I, I really just like instantly, you know, sometimes you just connect with people and it's so easy and it turns out he was like one of the first doctors who ran an eating disorder treatment center in Los Angeles back in the 70s. And he he was just really easy to talk to, interesting, and I just felt compelled to share with him what I was going through um, and how I just didn't really see how I was making any kind of positive impact by, you know, handing someone some medications and just kind of like sorry that you're going through this this is terrible you know felt very like is there I shouldn't I be doing something more and i just remember he looked at me and he smiled and he was like look you are basically standing with someone and you're holding a box and that box is just covered in shit <laughs> and <laughs> and basically you are there so that they can take a moment to clean off the box because when they finally open the lid what do you think is in there and I'm just like what I don't even know what what are you talking about and he's like it's the gift of self-discovery and like what could be better than being part of that I mean you get to hold the shit covered box while someone gets to to experience something that will lead them to being like the most Ultimate best version of themselves, and it just completely like changed my mindset and the way that I looked at what I did. And then I, I really you know, then I really saw like my role. Of course, is not to fix anyone. It's not like I'm, you know, I'm not healing broken bones here. Like this is, um, like, you can't just fix experiences, right? And you can't fix like it's such a personal thing. And but I can help. Just hold space for people, and sit with someone when they cry, and um, and be someone who can support them without judgment, and remind them that this is just a blip. You know, this is just like this is just one little step in you becoming just the most amazing version of yourself and so anyway I stayed in the field and that was like eight years ago and um, I really embraced my role after that and you know was able to share in experiences without absorbing the sadness and the guilt and the anger and all that and the shame and whatever like I just really was able to work in a different capacity and, um, and then eventually I started working more with the practitioners, um, as I kind of moved into different roles. And then I saw almost like a repeat of, you know, cause a lot of amazing people who have gone through terrible things want to then become therapists, dietitians, yoga instructors, nurses, you know, like people mm-hmm. who help others. And. And then I I, I feel like there's also an expectation of like, I need to help as many people as possible. And then what we perceive, you know, helping is becomes sometimes a burden, right? And um, so, yeah, that I think seeing that in not only patients, clients, and also even the, the healers, the givers themselves, is really something that inspired me to um, want to dive deep into my own, um, personal development, like acquiring skills that I could share so that, um, people could do this work without feeling depleted or burnt out. And, um, yeah, (laughs) and that's where I am now.
0: (laughs) That's so beautiful. Oh my gosh. Wow. I, um, I wonder then, do you, use the the tools that you learn and acquire through Yes Supply with people now like in the facility or no
1: um it depends I you know I try to balance um holding space and you know I also don't want to be like giving unsolicited feedback Mm -hmm. and coaching you know what I mean so I really try to balance but um I definitely do a lot of um like how do we protect our energy kind of yeah not official sessions but I just try to uh, infuse it into Mm -hmm. conversations and and kind of um yeah. I mean, I would love for it to be more of a, a program and that's something I'm working on now. Like I really developing a program, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: for, for people. Cause to me, healer, like anyone who's giving their energy, it's really, it's not just people in the healthcare field. It's not just people in the healing field. I mean, it's teachers are giving their energy all day. Right. mothers, raising children are. And, um, I mean, there's so many different people who are kind of unacknowledged that are really giving, giving, giving. And, um, I think that we all need to learn that, you know, that element of how we can really thrive when we're protecting and nourishing ourselves first. And that's why I love your, your emphasis on self-care because there's just not enough of that. It's like people perceive that as a luxury when it should just be an essential. Like just like, yeah, just like eating a meal, you know, we need right. to, it's part of what we should be doing to, or just to like going to sleep. Like,
0: yes, exactly. we need
1: sleep. We need self-care. We need to pamper ourselves. We need, we need things that make us feel good and excited. But we're like,
0: we're conditioned to believe that we are like, we should be guilty for taking that time for ourselves. And I wonder how you said, like, guilt and shame, you know, and other, like, limiting decisions and negative emotions were impacting and, like, the deeper root issues of the clients that you've worked with within the eating disorder clinic. So it's, like, that's, like, one example of how, like, when we just – are so deep in that guilt like what can happen right like yeah. the f- tools that we have through NLP and just on the subconscious level like we're able to like make room for more positive stuff by getting rid of some of those things in quicker techniques that like you know you can't quite get to with talk therapy so how do you yeah. feel <laughs> oh sorry go ahead Oh, no, I was
1: just going to say that's, you know, that's one of the things that I think is, um, you know, I I always, I do acknowledge I have to be very careful because there is a Mm -hmm. spectrum of, you know, just trauma that people deal with. Yeah. Um, However, I, I am of the belief that a lot of times, you know, deep diving into trauma and rehashing and, you know, is not helpful. I feel like I've seen that not be helpful and, um and you know sometimes it might be necessary, especially with grief and um however, I feel like you know some of the tools that we have with n l p or just coaching mm-hmm. um, it it's a lot more present and future oriented, which wow, um, yeah, I think a lot important. of time a lot of times, you know talking about trauma you're just you're reliving the past, and you know, I, I think that for some of the people that I'm thinking of, they've been to not one, not two, multiple treatment centers, you know, mm-hmm. hours and hours and hours upon therapy and literally talking about the same thing over and over again. So how can you not be living in the past when that's what you feel is the only thing that will help you? Right. Um, live your life. And, you know, and I feel like we really have like a something is wrong with me epidemic. And there's mm-hmm. one of the saddest things is when someone is diagnosed with something and then they that gives them a box to live in. Right. And it's like, I have to live my life based on this diagnosis. And if I look up, you know, whatever, it says that I typically display these behaviors and can't tolerate this and then really like adjust their lives to fit this description. And it sounds ridiculous, but it's so common. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's just, there's like, like, especially people in their teens and twenties, like the, the feeling that I'm broken and something needs to be fixed, um, is just so wrong. And it's just, I don't know, I was thinking about my, you know, what I was talking about with my flight mm-hmm. <laughs> experience, my, um, you know, it's like I, when I'm, I, now that I'm kind of thinking about it, I'm thinking like how similar it is to my experience, balancing out what I do um, in terms of working with patients because I'm not responsible for fixing anyone right I'm not Mm -hmm. responsible for making sure the flight has no turbulence or no delays like that's not Mm -hmm. my responsibility yes um and um also us like as people I feel like we there's an expectation that we're not supposed to like have turbulence in our lives and we're or something's wrong with us or if we're you know like sometimes we need to be a shitty friend to learn how to be a great friend or there's just things that are put on people and then labeled Mm -hmm. as you know you are this problem that I think is really um, holding a lot of people back and that's why I'm so drawn to NLP and energy work and just all the things that really empower people to take control and Mm -hmm. hey maybe I'm not of course there's things we all need to work on I mean every single person has things to work on right but enjoying more the process of being better rather than being upset that we're not
0: better (laughs) already. Right. And I, I love what you said about the future base, like, or how a lot of therapy is like looking back at the past, but a lot of what coaching can be is like looking into the future and holding people at that highest potential and empowering people with like, belief, right? How Mm -hmm. much can be charged in just understanding that change is possible, and, like, thinking of those clients of yours or patients of yours that, like, if someone had even just, like, a session with them where they sat down and said, like, what do you actually want? Like, what do you want, like, not relating to your body but just like have a conversation about like something else outside of it and like kind of zoom out and be like what do you want to do with your life and like just pump all of this like belief into them and I imagine that you are probably absolutely definitely that person that shining light within the treatment centers and um I don't know I don't really have a question, but I just comment.
1: I mean, I think there's, there is definite value in therapy and I know some amazing therapists and, um, but what I do, what I do kind of see is, you know, a lot of times when we see people at their worst, um, sometimes we see them as that person. And what I do. I mean, honestly, in a perfect world, people would have like a therapist and a coach working, you know, (laughs) Yeah, you know, and in tandem. But um, I have realized that some people do not know what it's like at all in their life in any capacity to have someone see them as just perfect Mm -hmm. and, and, and see them at their highest potential and who they, who they you know, who they really are or who they have the potential to be. And I think that, you know, if you, you know, just like we learn, like the the prote- the practitioner, if you don't see this person at their highest potential, like how can we expect them to get there? And just like with children, if the teacher doesn't think that they're capable, they're not going to get there. Mm-hmm. And the same for therapy, I feel like sometimes, um, and this also leads back to You know, a lot of therapists are burnt out and overwhelmed and, and sometimes it's hard to see people Mm -hmm. at their potential, especially when they're really, you know, they're really in a bad place. And, um, and I, I honestly, I think that's kind of one of the reasons why I was so attracted to coaching was to really, you know, I want to help infuse some of that Mm -hmm. into, just a regular expectation or, or, um, you know, it's not easy, but just having a reminder sometimes that, you know, even though it's not our job to make someone be the best version of themselves, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. like at least we can hold, um, an idea for them that it's possible because some people never even have heard that it's possible.
0: I love that. Right. That's so, so important. And, um, like thinking about them, but then I like the way that you're also talking about the people that are giving the care, right? Like burnout is real and Mm -hmm. like, it's gotta be exhausting to be on the other side of it too. And like talk through things. And if they're like, if they're not getting prime self-care in their own lives, like how can they hold that space for all of the other clients who have gone through such traumatic things. Like, I can't, I can't imagine, um, how you, how you wouldn't run the potential of getting burnt out. So how, how do you see, uh, developing this program, um, to help the other professionals that you work with? Mm. Well, I
1: think there are little tools, um, that we can use. Um, I think things that we talk about a lot or even, you know, tapping, um, really creating rituals. I think, I think creating rituals was Mm -hmm. critical for me. And I know critical for a lot of other people who wanted to make permanent changes Mm -hmm. in their life. And I absolutely had to, um, create daily rituals for myself because, You know, doing the big self-care stuff, like the once or twice a year thing is not, uh, Mm -hmm. that doesn't, that doesn't cut it when you're giving daily or you're, um, you know, working with people who really need like full, someone who is full (laughs) and who's, who, who, who has the ability to protect their own energy. Because it's not other people who are draining us, right? We're, it's our own responsibility when we feel drained to figure out how to replenish and also maintain. Wow. And we can't put it on those people who, you know, are not in a place potentially to be aware of, you know, how their energy is affecting others. And, Um, also we're always responsible for how we feel, right? So if Mm -hmm. we are a practitioner feeling burnt out and um, like we're not able to give the best, and of course sometimes it's not even about the patient sometimes, you know, or the person that you're working with, sometimes it's about the system that you are working in, and it can also be overwhelming when you so badly have great intentions and want to change the system you know so there's all these Mm -hmm. layers I think and and I really do feel like you know people who are doing this kind of work have gone in with just such good intentions and I think um you know and on every level that I can so I'm working on creating like uh digital courses Um, but also I really the importance of in-person connection to me is I just I feel like there's just not enough of it and so um, you know monthly meetups where a community can be built um, really trying to instill little things like I feel like sometimes it works best when someone doesn't even know you're putting in a suggestion on how they can care for themselves better but in conversations and Um, And I think most importantly is by living it myself as an example,
0: because,
1: Mm -hmm. you know, um, what better way to show how abundant and fulfilled you can be in your life um, doing really hard work than to to live that and show that it's not... (laughs) You can you can have you can have that
0: connection,
1: and you can have that um, that desire to help, and also let go of the expectations, and also still feel good about what you're doing.
0: Yeah. Oh, that yes, I love that so much. The the word replenish, like I feel like I hadn't really heard that word in a long time. But you' bringing it up tonight is is so wonderful because like to to have the reminder that like it is never someone else's fault why we are feeling drained. It is only our mm-hmm. own that reminds me of just like uh, the responsibility that we take when we step into knowing that the world is happening for us not to us when we are choosing to live a life of cause versus being an effect and thinking that um kind of playing like the victim or like a, that narrative in our head of just thinking that like why is it so hard or getting into that negative loop like to take mm-hmm. back that power and then like know like okay maybe this is a reflection of like some some poor boundaries i have in my life I know I've totally been there and always like looking to fix that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's, it's beautiful to give yourself permission to take that power back and be like, I literally could do so many different things today. That would be me caring for myself. And it's like, we just, we always assume we don't have the time, but it's not really about having it; it's about making it. Mm-hmm. And I, I just love the way that you brought that reminder back. And um, I'm curious, like, what is if we can if we can sort of think about the future since we're talking about like how um, powerful it can be to focus on the future. I just want to take a moment to ask you, like, what do you see happening next? Like, I want to hold space for like your highest potential self, your best case scenario. Like, where do all of these things, all of the impacts that you've been making, all the waves that you've been creating in your life, in your career and in personal development and becoming a coach, like, where do all of these things intersect in your dream scenario? Oh my gosh. No, we have another hour? (laughs) Um, Oh my gosh.
1: Well, uh, first of all, I have a 12 year old daughter. So I, um, I think it's really important to me that, you know, I've seen the impact that this kind of work has on someone so young. Mm -hmm. So I'm definitely one one thing that's really important to me is how can, how can we share this kind of information um, with people from just a young age? Like, I you know, whether it's, so right now I am involved in just a, it's basically like a career day kind of thing where mm-hmm. I, you know, I'll go into a junior high school and talk about you know, things, and I'll, I'll kind of (laughs) slip in some, some stuff here so that they start, you know, I'm just, like, planting seeds, right, Um, but I would love for that to be something that I do more often, or even more on, um, uh, like, a more clear level, like, hey, this, these are some techniques to, Um, you know make your just learning experience like things don't have to be so hard and yes there's hard work but these are some tools to little hack like life hacks for learning and you know just making it a part of a, a normal a normal thing that kids start to understand that hey I'm not just given you know, these brain cells, and if I'm told that I'm dumb, then I'm dumb, and I just have to live within that, you know, like, just right. empowering kids to really just dream big, um, and I think that, you know, that's something that we have as a kid or as a child, and then at some point, we start thinking, like, oh, I better kind of get get mm-hmm. real and realize my limitations, and I think we, we all have lots of work to do to reverse that (laughs) for, for kids. Right. And, um, so that's one element. And I, you know, I haven't really, other than kind of volunteering my time, I haven't quite got that through yet, but that's something that's definitely important to me. And then of course, um, coaching. So I love working with people one-on-one and also, um, I want to part of the the programs that I want to develop the digital content is so that um, maybe it can be utilized and more of a company treatment center you know like audience um, mm-hmm. so i have I have lots of different ideas, and um connecting with people in person like I said is super important too and um, you know, my spiritual practice is creating things, and so yes. I create. I I create jewelry that I want people to have, so um, so that they can create uh, reminders for themselves, like of self care, of of gifting themselves something. Of I don't know if it, you know, we can our, our jewelry and things can be anchors for different feelings that we have, and and so. I just really try to make sure that I'm living what I believe and, and that it all connects. Whereas before I really, for a long time, I thought all different parts of my life had to be separate. Like work, people could not know me personally, personal people had needed to not know anything about what I was doing professionally or in school or whatever. And I felt Mm -hmm. very different. I felt like I needed to keep everything separate and I'm kind of in a place now where I'm realizing there's so much more connection in all the things that we're doing and everything relates. And then, you know, especially when you're put in a room with a group of people that you don't know, it's amazing the connections that we can all have. And I mean, you and I, for example, like, I mean, I would have never thought that we would have such a deep connection, um, going through personal things and, you know, yeah. just, um, and in this kind of overlapping on opposite sides of, of this, you know, mental health experience. And, um, and obviously I of course can relate because I've, you know, been there in some capacities, but, um, yeah, I guess basically my answer is I don't have the exact, the exact clear, uh, expectation of what I want, but I know and feel that I'm on the right path and flowing, um, creative ideas and acting on those ideas. And I know that,
0: um, you know, it, it all makes sense for me. I love it. And I, I love the way that, you are stepping into that at master Pract because like your website is such a beautiful container for all of that to exist in one place and as you were just talking i was just picturing your rings like your jewelry is so beautiful and that you call it a spiritual practice it's like yes so is it like the act of making it is what you would say is the, the spiritual um practice part of it like you feel like you're in flow when you're creating
1: yeah and for me making it is also because I I don't want to just like mass buy stuff from somewhere and create a bunch of the same things so like I um I don't have my necklaces on there yet but all my necklaces the chains I've I like to find um things like in secondhand stores or um you know just places where I'm repurposing if mm-hmm. possible I try my best to um and then you know I'll find different stones from different places and um I think that that part of it and then the actual creating of the jewelry itself um just you know it's just like when you're doing something, and you're infusing this positive intention, and I'm a little over the top, I, you know, like to stage things, and lay them out in the moonlight,
0: and <laughs> I just really, I, love I feel it. like
1: it's very, like, it's just, I feel like excited that I'm creating a gift, um, and I don't know who that gift is going to go to, but that is fulfilling to me, mm. and Um, so yeah, that's I think that's the the practice, the spiritual practice part where, and I'm also using my hands and creating something that I think is pretty and imperfect. I mean, none of the rings are um perfect, I'm like hammering with my you know, by hand and (laughs) stuff like that. So, and I really enjoy that part of it, and I really see also the work that we do as very. Similar, It's like we're going, you know, mm-hmm. we're digging through some stuff and we're experimenting and we're, because every person is different too and receives information in a different way and we're, um, it's not like we have this perfect system where you do this and you're perfect, you're great, you're healed, you're, you know, um, and so the experience of working together with another person to just try to be better and try to have more joy and fulfillment in life is in itself. I find so much joy in that. And so, um, yeah, I feel like my coaching practice and, you know, the work I do staying within the field that I'm in, because I love how it keeps me connected to people who really are experiencing or doing, doing hard work and experiencing (laughs) burnout. Um, that, and then along with the things that I do to fuel myself, like,
0: it all just connects for me, and um, I love it. I love it, too. I I wanted to go, like, okay, cool. I feel like I have amazing and okay, cool in my head still left over yeah, from Master on those go-to shout sentences. out to Reese. Shout out Reese. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. <laughs> but I, I wanted to circle back to what you had said. You said most of the time, like healers get into their fields because they've been through some stuff. And like, I just want to ask, what was like the driving inspiration in you um, wanting to become a mental health nurse? Like you, you mentioned that you were always fascinated by the people and like, it's not like what you saw in the movies, but was there something that happened in your life personally that you feel comfortable sharing that inspired that path for you in the first place? Yeah, um,
1: I, you know, really struggled with depression myself and, uh, for a long time. And, you know, I had the experience of being told by a doctor, um, you know, look, I know. Okay. So first of all, I, I think I was pre- Preempt um, not preemptively, um, prematurely mm-hmm. um, put on medication, antidepressants, um, because I had said, God, I think I was maybe 19 or 20 at the time. And I had said, oh, I'm just like really stressed out. And I just have a hard time getting out of bed. And that one sentence uh, led to a prescription. Mm-hmm. And um, And a hard time dealing with being on medication. That and again, I feel like there's a a huge spectrum of people who, you know, sometimes in a situation like mine, you know, probably didn't need to be on medication. And then I realized there are lots of people who medication could be immensely helpful. So Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that like medication is, you know, not appropriate at certain times. But for me, um, it started. Me on a journey of feeling like something was really wrong with me and that I wasn't able to function without medication and I didn't want to be on medication. So I tried multiple times to get off of it. And as a lot of people know, it's a really uncomfortable experience. And I I remember a doctor sitting down with me and saying, Look, you need to understand that you are chronically depressed and you will never live be able to live without taking medication so just take it every day and stop stop trying to like not take it Mm. and that was just such a like I that was just such a sad moment for me and I also accepted it Mm -hmm. and I was like okay so yes clearly I have something wrong um and it really uh I lived a very, like, not depressed, not super happy, just pretty numbed out life, and um, and I didn't understand why I wasn't able to, like, fully enjoy the things that a lot of people seem to enjoy, and I didn't even feel like I had the energy to fake laugh or fake, you know, excitement or whatever, and anyway, that I think that experience and many years of dealing with that just made me so interested in mm-hmm. how the the brain worked and how the body worked, and um, and it actually wasn't. It was only through me um, delving deeper and learning about other people's experiences and seeing, you know, with my own eyes how not true it was um what that doctor said to me Mm -hmm. uh that just i just felt like oh my god (laughs) i feel like there's there's so much Mm -hmm. power that we have within us um and it just doesn't seem right that if if we're in a system where people are constantly being told to be small and numb and not try to be better. And again, I'm not saying like trying to be better means trying to be, you know, medication free or any type of like, any specific thing, but, but there's nothing good that can come out from someone accepting and holding the belief that there is inherently something wrong with them and they cannot live without, Mm -hmm. medication, and they, they can't be who they really are without it inflicting an inconvenience on the people around, you know, so anyway, that was my, that was my, uh, kind of intro into that world, um, also, I think from a very young age, I, you know, would always have friends come to me with really, um, but during difficult times, and I just naturally wanted to, what could I do to help mm-hmm. my friend who is going through something terrible, or what can I do to, so I think those are the things that really, and you know, I have other experiences, obviously, but I, I think in general, that is um, what kind of led me into this world. <laughs> and uh, Karine, are you,
0: are you still on medication?
1: I'm not. I am medication free and it was not easy. Um, You know, there's a lot of, especially when you get used to being on Mm -hmm. medication, you know, you go through withdrawals and um, I had to have a lot of support from, you know, the people close to me. And I did, I had a lot of support and, and I also did a lot of work. I didn't just think I'm going to, stop taking this medication and it's going to suck for like a week or two and then everything's going to be great. I knew that in order to be off of a medication, that means I needed to work extra hard on protecting my energy and um, staying replenished and challenging myself to live a life that I would be excited about. And so to me, it was worth it to push myself in those areas. And, I, you know, honestly, I didn't realize how much um, more I was going to feel and experience, mm-hmm. um, you know, after getting off the medication, because there's a huge part of me that was so numb. And I felt that was my personality. And I realize now that that is not, yeah, that was not my, <sighs>
0: my true personality. <laughs> I, I can't even picture a numb Korean. Yeah, (laughs) like,
1: yeah, and you know, and I felt, it made me feel safe, honestly, it made me feel really safe, because I'm like, hey, um, you know, yeah, I'm not super happy, but I'm also not super, super sad, so this is pretty good. Right, like you're in the middle, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I was definitely missing out on a lot, and um, you know, I'm grateful for that experience, because at the time, it was like a stepping stool to to give me the, you know, I don't know, energy in some way to reach out for more support or to, um, to kind of be able to see where I was at from a different perspective. So I don't Mm -hmm. regret it or anything like that. I think Mm -hmm. I let it go on for maybe a little too long, but, um, you know, sometimes it takes a while to to really experience and realize like your own power and we all know that being told you're great you're amazing like that doesn't really do anything um, until you start believing it and um I really couldn't I did not have the capacity to see myself as anything other than someone who just you know was maintaining (laughs) when I was without being medication free. And it just kind of opened up. It's almost like a little veil was lifted where I was like, Oh wow. I, I actually feel things a little more intensely now, both good and bad. And it's, um, I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. And I, I just, you know, I can relate to this story like so intensely and like one thing that's running through my mind is that like that label for some people, I think like one, it can go a couple ways. Like one way that what you're describing, I think what I felt like just having this label given to you and be like, this is what it's going to be like forever can be like terrifying and awful and like so limiting. But then mm-hmm. I think for, for other people, like it can also be, and just to like look at it from all angles it it can also be so relieving like if you've been like searching searching for a diagnosis for a long time or you've been like trying to find answers like there's some medication out there that like truly keeps people alive, right? But the similarity that I hear in both of our stories is, like, the quickness of the diagnosis and, like, the prescription, like, without really, like, understandings. Like, I think that, like, sometimes those labels can can bring such a relief and such a clarity of, like, well, at least I know what's going on now, and I know what I need to do to take care of myself, Um, and I think that could be really, really powerful. But then I also think, like, the other side of it is, like, you just have an internal feeling of, like, wow, that feels so limiting and, like, scary for someone to say, like, you will never be able to get off of this. And I know I had it hammered into my head a lot. Like, it's okay. It's just the way your brain is made up. Like, it's okay. It's like a chemical thing in your brain. You've got to look at it the same as if you would like a physical illness or a physical thing. Like, and I, I don't know, what do you think about that when someone says like those words of like, you gotta look at the way your brain is functioning the same way that your body is and like that you need this medication in order to um, kind of fill, fill a void that other brains have. Right. That's not the right um, wording, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I fully agree with what you're saying
1: that, you know, everyone has a different experience and sometimes medication can be a lifesaver and sometimes, um, you know, a diagnosis can be helpful. I think it's the way it's presented um, that's really important. And, mm-hmm. you know, when when I think someone is given the freedom to understand that, Hey, this is maybe something that will be helpful right now. Um, And then you kind of take it from there and see how it affects you. And, um, you know, really have people that you trust to be able to reflect back to you, uh, you know, changes that they see and whatever. And so Mm -hmm. I think, you know, there's that piece. And as far as like the chemical imbalance and all that stuff, I, you know, I think what's, what's, what's missing that's critical when maybe someone sits down with a doctor and talks about how they're feeling, Um, you know, so how are you nourishing yourself? Because just like I thought the way my presentation was based on how I, you know, basically lived with side effects of a medication, I felt like that was my personality now. Mm-hmm. Um, just for example, if you're, if you're, um, you know, not eating well, or you're not drinking, you're not taking care of yourself in lots of different c- capacities that affects your personality. And it doesn't mean that that's who you are. It could very well be a side effect of how you're taking care of yourself. And so to put a medication on top of that doesn't help the root of the problem. Right. So um, Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot more deep diving into lifestyle and self-care and, you know, processing different events and emotions and histories that has to be taken into consideration. And of course I don't, I feel like, you know, we, we are told certain things about the body and five years later it's like oh no just kidding actually brain cells are you know (laughs) they can renew or whatever so um being I, I think it's just probably the most important to know that we are completely capable of changing our biology and um you know creating a life that we want and our personalities aren't set in stone our the the way we live today is not how we have to live tomorrow and the only thing that really defines us is you know how we are living in the moment and we can change at any moment and we can decide things for ourselves we are so much more powerful than we are told that we are and um and so yeah i think you know there's there are so many ways in which we're told that we are not good enough or, you know, our, the way we behave is um, bad and we kind of define ourselves in these ways and it's just not a helpful way. So I think if you're before adding medications on top of stuff, really getting to the root of whatever the issue is, because those are signs that something needs to be addressed, right? So Mm -hmm. sometimes it, I feel like, you know, there's obviously like we keep saying there's, there's times where it's completely appropriate um, to utilize medication. If we're talking more on, you know, a functional level, um, you know, probably, it probably would have been better if maybe in my situation, I had been asked about, you know, was I exercising at all? No. Was I uh, (laughs) eating like actual foods that had nutritional value no probably not I mean for the most part um was I sleeping well or was I going out all night partying constantly with my friends um you know (laughs) so there's all these things that probably could have been addressed first to really you know before being told like you have a chemical imbalance
0: right and a chronic depression And just because of the the sentence of it, you don't want to get out of bed sometimes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. When you're 19 and you're like trying to figure your life out and you're in college and you're juggling work and you want to go out and, you know, yeah, maybe, you know, sometimes it's like you just don't want to get out of bed. (laughs) But those are lifestyle issues, right? And, um, yeah, so, like, on that kind of level, I feel like, hey, let's take some time out, maybe, you know, maybe start, maybe try a yoga class, maybe go to some mm-hmm. acupuncture, maybe, eat, a, you know, eat some yeah. real foods.
0: Eat some real food, <laughs> yes, and I think I want to circle back to a piece you said in there as we wrap this up and say, like, like, um, I can't remember your exact words, but you were talking about the way that the information is delivered, and the way that, like, the client, uh, or I keep saying client, the way the patient is, you know, talked to by the practitioner or psychiatrist or nurse or doctor. Like, like that interaction is so important, and I just want to circle back and say, like, like that's why people like you with your kind heart and your like generous spirit and the way that you hold this beautiful image of people at their highest potential like you in this field is so so beautiful to me and I'm just like I'm so grateful that you are like a a pillar of hope that's like come into my life as an example of like it does exist it is out there and I think that's part of the reason why I feel such a deep connection with you like I feel like you came into my life for a reason to teach me of like like what it can look like right like it can look different ways and you're such a powerful example of of just like that love that can exist in that space that I was like led to believe it just couldn't exist there and I'm so grateful that you were able to come on the podcast today and share your story.
1: Oh my gosh. <laughs> Thank you so much for, that was like <laughs> so kind of you. And there's I definitely, uh, I really mean it. There, <laughs> there are a lot of ma- amazing people doing um, this work and, you know, I think those, yeah, there's kind of, It's not, it's not a thankful thing, right? And it's, it's something Mm -hmm. when we're, when we're in the worst of it, um, just having somebody who isn't necessarily doing anything super amazing or crazy, but having someone there who is like sees you as a person and not as like a broken, you know, human that can't function is just so important in so many capacities of life not just as a patient or a client or
0: whatever and
1: um and I just really appreciate you having me on I'm so happy that I was able to do this um get to be a guest on your podcast you are an inspiration as
0: well so Uh I love you. I love you too. And I can't wait to have you back for a love manifestation story. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> that one, that one will be, that will be good. I'm thinking Valentine's day area sometime in <laughs> February. Um, oh my God. But is there, is there anything else that you wanted to say before we wrap up or are you? No, I just, I think good? if. If anyone has stuck with us this long, I really
1: appreciate <laughs> yeah. you. And um, yeah, I just, I appreciate this experience and all the work that you're doing, um, spreading the word on, you know, the, the thing, the amazing things that so many people are doing to really kind of elevate humanity I think it's awesome
0: right like the honestly when I have interviews on my podcast now like I look at it as like wow I literally someday I'm going to look back on this this is how I hold potential for people someday I'm going to look back on this and I'm going to be able to talk to all of my listeners and be like, hey, do you all remember when Corrine Elliott was on the podcast and look what she's doing now? Like, that's how I feel every time I sit down and do an interview. So just so you know, this is an archive of a very special moment. And like in five, 10 years, we'll be looking back on it and being like, whoa, what the heck? happened there and where are we now so
1: I love that I love that Jenna <laughs> so awesome
0: well I yeah and thanks to everyone that stuck with us this is the longest one yet but it was good and it was <laughs> juicy and it was honest and honestly I know a lot of the people that listen to this can relate and will take some very very like important messages away from this and um it's it's great so long but of high quality <laughs> and now i'll do the thing where like i couldn't i'll i'll ramble for a long time so i'm just gonna say goodbye <laughs> like when it's time to say goodbye is when i just start saying the weirdest stuff but okay <laughs> oh my gosh okay right. bye and good night and i love everybody out there all right we <laughs> Love you, and I love you, Kareem. Thank you so much. I will put all of Kareem's links in the show notes. You can go buy her jewelry. You can follow her on Instagram, and you can watch her journey as she becomes the Kareem Elliott version um, that I just described, where you'll be able to look back at this podcast and be like, oh, my God, I listened to her on her first ever podcast. (laughs) So go follow along. And... I'll catch you next week in the next episode.